Psalms uh, chapter 2 is actually one of the most quoted Psalms, if not the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament. And it is in this Psalm where the Messiah is prophesied. Now, God the Father prophesies a Messiah to be sent into the world and begins this way, says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So this is a prophecy. Prophecy is that God the Father, Yahweh, has a son, and he's going to set his son as king in the holy hill of Zion, and he will give him all of the nations and the ends of the earth as his possession and inheritance. That's the prophecy. So God has a king, and then he is going to give his king the nations of this world. Now, if you remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read that the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, that word is the Son that the Father sent, and to whom he sets up as a king and gives the nations of the earth as his inheritance. Because the Son of God, the eternally begotten, eternally generated Son of God, is also fully man, because he became flesh. He dwelt among us. He assumed a human nature. He has a divine will, and he has a uh, properties and energies that are proper to a divine nature. That is, he is fully God. He has a nature that he shares with, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he also has created energies and will that are proper to human nature. He has a mind, has a will that is in union with his divine nature in one person. We call that the hypostatic union. It's a fancy word, hypostasis is the Greek term that in the Latin was translated as persons. I say Latin because I'm saying it in English, but it comes from the Latin. And so in the Greek, hypostasis is the term that we use as persons, and in Christ there exists a human nature with all the properties of it and a divine nature with all the properties of it. So he is the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so, because he's fully man, and when we go back to Genesis, that God created this world, this planet, for man. This realm of reality that we call planet Earth was created by God for humanity to exert dominion over, 
to rule, to fill the earth and to spread. And that, uh, that role was given to man, Adam, that God created in his image. But we know the story that Adam, unfortunately, did not succeed in that, and he failed. And when Adam failed, or where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. So he now has taken that mandate of being, of subduing the earth, of exerting dominion, of filling the earth, because he's a man. And as a man, he rules over the kings of the earth. Adam was given a wife or a woman to help him in that, and the Lord Jesus Christ as a bride who also helps him accomplishing that dominion. And so from Psalms chapter 2, we see that human history and everything that you see that happens in the world happens at the behest of Christ for the purposes of growing his church and expanding his kingdom which makes him inescapable. What happens in history, what happens in the world, what you see happening around, all happens for the purposes of expanding the kingdom of God and growing his church. That's it. There's no stuff happening outside of his realm of control. See, human beings don't do things, and it's like, oh, snap, he did that. What am I going to... No, 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 no. Human beings do things as they're moved by God's providence, all of human history. And so when we say the crisis king, you see that becomes like a meme on Facebook, crisis king. Well, that's not just something that we say that sounds pretty. A king has dominion over a certain realm. So when we say Christ is king, that's what we mean, that he has dominion over this realm. And so we're living, as I said last time, in a time of political changes, of things that are happening around the world, things that are happening in this country. And unfortunately, as much as I hate and try not to, speak on political issues. The reality is the politics have become now so intrusive that basic Christian ideas have now become political ideas. Because in reality, the gospel and Christianity is a political claim. It's always been. When we say the crisis king, that is a political claim. What we're claiming is that above the emperors, the presidents, and the men of power that you see, there is another ruler over them to whom we can hold them accountable to. That is a political claim. The early church was persecuted at the tune and almost 5,000 Christians killed a day almost in the Roman Empire for one reason. It's not because they love Jesus. Ultimately, yeah, that was true. But you can worship whoever you wanted in Rome. You can worship a tree if you wanted in Rome. So long as 
It was underneath the worship of the emperor. See, when Jesus, would, uh, by the Sea of Galilee, and they ask him about taxation, and he says, give me a coin. Let me see that coin. And they give him a coin. He says, who is this? Well, that's Caesar Augustus. Well, we have those coins. You know that? Museum. We found some of those. Not, maybe not the exact coin that Jesus is holding. But we have those coins. They're called denarius. That's where we get our Spanish word, dinero, denarius. In that coin, there is an image of the emperor. And on the other side, it says, Caesar Augustus, son of the living God. Zeus, that was the god of the time. That's who the emperor was in Rome. So the emperor was the lord of the Roman Empire, which was the world at the time. So when the Christians come around and they begin proclaiming Christ is Lord, what they're saying is if Christ is Lord, then Caesar is not Lord. That's a problem. And all they had to do is say, Caesar is Lord. And they would not. But you're not honoring your country. Yes, we are. We're law-abiding. We, we honor the emperor as our apostle Peter told us, honor the king or honor the emperor. We do that. But he's not our Lord. Because the apostle Paul told us, that the Lord Jesus Christ is above all principalities and powers and rulers and kingdoms. So we cannot say that Caesar is Lord because then we would be going against what the apostles told us, that Christ is Lord. And so the slogan, Kaiser Curios, which means Caesar is Lord, became Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. And for that, they were killed because they were making a political claim. Because if the government or the state is not the end, then it becomes a means, a means of somebody greater than that you can hold them accountable to. That was revolutionary. That changed everything. That's the reason this country was set up the way it was set up. Because this country was founded after thousands of years of Christian civilization. And those ideas became part of the original setup of the country. I say the original setup, because we're a long way past that original setup. That's why the Constitution recognizes rights. It doesn't give them to you. It doesn't give you any rights. If the government gives you rights, you can take them away. It recognizes rights that you already have. From who? From whoever made you, which is God. So if you want to find out who is the God of any system? Want to find out who's the God of any system? Find out who is the final arbiter of that system. Whoever has the final say of what is right or what is wrong on any system is the God of that system. Whether it be Allah, Buddha, Yahweh, or the Supreme Court, or the Communist Party of China. Whoever claims to dictate, whoever tells you or defines for you what marriage is, what relationships can be, is setting up itself as the God of that system. Because he has the final say. But as Christians, we don't believe that any human anything is the final arbiter of anything. 
Because we believe that above all principalities and powers, there is a higher ruler. He gets to determine what is right or what is wrong. He gets to say what is this or what is that. And whoever does not say that is ultimately going to be held accountable to that final and ultimate ruler. That is precisely what Psalm chapter 2 says. It says this in verse 10. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, presidents, prime ministers, chancellors. Be instructors, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. He's the final arbiter. He's the final power. He's the final line, right? He's the final checkout when you go to Walmart. He's the final checkout before you walk out the door. It's him. And so all of human history, as I was saying before, moves in that direction. This is the agenda. This is the plan. The plan is that one day all the nations of the world will become the kingdoms of our God. That's the agenda. That's where the world is going. If you were wondering where the world is going. All nations that are made, that come up, that rise and fall, rise and fall at the behest of Jesus Christ and for his purposes of expanding his kingdom and growing this church. Period. Bible says in Acts 17 that God sets the boundaries of our habitation, the places where we were to dwell, so that perchance, that's King James right there, perchance, We might feel towards him and find him because he's not very far from us. Boundaries, borders, places of habitations, dwelling places that we were all born, it's all for one purpose. That we, perchance, may feel towards him and find him because he's not very far from us. And so that's the whole uh, point of Psalms chapter 2. And so the Christian faith is a public faith. And as such, it deals with matters that are public and political. And so last time I pointed out that we're going through probably one of the most important times in recent history. Well, the media wouldn't know it, it seems like. In a transition, we're going from a unipolar world to a more multipolar world. Unipolar world, remember, that I explained at the end of the World War II, the Cold War, which is my parents' generation, they grew up in the Cold War. You had two powers, Soviet Union on one side, United States on the other side. You had satellites or allies that hover around those nations. At the end of the the Cold War, 1991-92, the United States remained as the sole unipolar power in the planet the Rome, so to speak, of our day. But that period of time is beginning to change. There are other nations are rising up. Other powers are being seen in the world. They're making claims and stakes, as we've seen what's happening in the Ukraine. I don't have the time to cover the whole history of what led to the Ukrainian conflict and all of that. Not that it matters. But this is a reality that, for some reason, uh, our media doesn't seem to get, but the people who are in power seem to get, because they actually openly speak about it. And so I have been going through transcripts, 
because I am a very entertaining, fun person. I'm going through very entertaining transcripts of speeches from our side and from the Russian side. Now I want to read to you portions of a speech given by Vladimir Putin in his meeting with the Duma, the State Duma in Moscow. This is what he says. Pay attention to what he's saying so you see where the world is going. He says this, the so-called collective West, led by the United States, has, extremely, has been extremely aggressive towards Russia for decades. That is true. Our proposals to create a system of equal, equal security in Europe have been rejected. Initiatives for cooperation on the issue of missile defense were rejected. Warnings about the unacceptability of NATO expansion, especially at the expense of former republics of the Soviet Union, were ignored. Even the idea of Russia's possible integration into the North Atlantic Alliance and uh, uh, apparently seemed absurd to its members. Why? Because they don't want a country like Russia to exist. That's why. That is why they supported terrorism and separatism in Russia and internal destructive forces in our country. All of them are still receiving unconditional support from the collective West. But here's what I would like to make clear, he goes on to say. They should have realized that they would lose from the very beginning of our operation because this operation also means the beginning of the breakdown of the US-style world order. This is the beginning of the transition from liberal, globalist, American egocentrism to a multipolar world based not on self-solving rules made by the United States for their own needs, behind which there's nothing but striving for hegemony or in hypocritical double standards, but on international law and the genuine sovereignty of nations and civilizations on their will to live their historical destiny in accordance to their own values and traditions. He knows what's going on. Our people know what's going on. Here's a quote from Joe Biden. We're an inflection point in history for real. I love the eloquence of our leaders. It comes along about every six or eight generations where things are changing so rapidly and we have to be in control. There's another quote from George Soros, best candidate for the Antichrist. I don't believe he's the Antichrist. I don't believe anybody's there. The best and perhaps way to preserve our civilization is to defeat Putin as soon as possible, and that's the bottom line. Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor of Germany, says, we are experiencing what it means to live in a multipolar world. Our leaders know what's happening. The world is changing over. You hear analysts give you all sorts of political reasons for this, economic reasons for this, all that is good and great. But there is also spiritual reasons for things that happen that the world does not see. The truth is, and this is, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I believe, and the truth is, that American liberalism, and I say American because liberalism means different things in different places, but American liberalism, or progressivism, or woke culture, or whatever you want to call it, is one of the most formidable enemies that mankind has today. It is as 
ideology specifically designed to destroy the family and therefore destroy nations. And I have never seen, not even, not even communism, destroyed families as quickly and as horribly as this form of ideology has. Because it does it under the pretense of freedom. You knew in communism, you knew it. If you lived in a communist country and they were destroying your family, you knew that this was a brutal regime and that you were under chains that you needed to break out of. But under this ideology, you think you're free. You think you were bound before. It is insidious. And it's being rejected the world over. Here's a, something you didn't see in the news. This is called the Declaration of the Large Family and Future of Humanity. This is a declaration that was made by different groups in Moscow. This is in, this is in 2014, a couple of months after we financed the coup in the Ukraine that ousted a democratically elected president. That doesn't matter. But there was a declaration of the large family and future of humanity. This is what it says. Listen carefully. This was not in Washington. This was in Moscow. The preservation of mankind is based on a system of family and kindred ties that are formed through the bonds of marriage between a male and a female and the children born to them. This and only this alone is capable of ensuring the reproduction, stability, and continuity of human civilization. All other kinds of sexual relationships or alliances intentionally that exclude this form are meaningless for they are devoid of the notion set down by the very definition of the word family. No political or economic interest can serve as a pretext for replacing the true and time-tested concept of family by any kind of surrogate. We regretfully declare that the systemic policy pursued by the ruling elite in the developed countries of this world in order to implement the theory of postmodern society or a society of unrestrained consumerism is a policy of creating a society of individuals who are absolutely unconcerned about the future and who are focused on satisfying their selfish desires for the moment. Such society is ultimately aimed at destroying faith in God as well as, as belief in good. These postmodern policies focus on material wealth are destroying what is human in the human being as created by God at wrecking the spiritual dimension in man. This is a declaration made by people representing different countries, mostly Eastern European countries all over the world. This is a, this is a rejection of our culture, because it is our culture, whether we like it or not. And so this is what really is happening in the world. Last night, I read that there are senators that are now looking at shutting down any type of organizations that try to help women, you know, uh, not have abortions. You know, there's organizations that women is thinking about having you can go, they can help you. In those states that, you know, post Roe v. Wade, some states kept abortion 
And so they're literally thinking about shutting down Christian ministries, because this is predominantly Christian ministries who do this, are being shut down, or legislation is being brought up to shut down those ministries. There's also legislation that is, they're looking at to make it part of the United States foreign policy that any nation that uh, prohibits same-sex marriages could be uh, consider a rogue or a bad nation, whatever that means. So you're looking at what, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, all these other nations, Russia. You say, well, we're not going to invade those countries. Yeah, but we can sanction. So the United States is a great nation. But on top of the structure of that nation, there is an empire. And the global financial system is controlled by that empire. And they can sanction. And so while we watch the latest episodes of Mandalorian or whatever, you have people in powers and in, in, in places of power in this country that are, might impose sanctions force nations to change policies at the threat of economic collapse. If there was another nation doing that, we would call them the Whore of Babylon. We would have prophetic preachers <laughs> with their little statues and stuff on TV. That is why the multipolar world has to happen. Because things greatly to the 20th century American efforts, it was the United States and her former views of freedom and religious freedom that were still here in this country in the 50s and 60s, that most of which has now disappeared, right? And the efforts of American missionaries largely, a lot of the third world was filled with the gospel. More people came to Christ in the 20th century than in any other century ever before that. Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, many places. The Koreas, I mean, South Korea is the country that sends out more missionaries per capita than any other country in the world. 40% of the Korean population claims to be Christian. That's the largest percentage, I think, of any southeastern nation. So the world was changed, largely through American missionaries and other people who were raised up afterwards. That was a blessing to the world. You see, Christians, wherever there is a Christian, there's prayers going up to God. And whenever Christians pray, they pray for their families, for their communities, and for their countries. And God answers the prayers of peoples throughout the world. And in order for Christian civilizations to rise up, you need several things. You need peace, prosperity. You need a military that can keep people at bay. And you need a multipolar world. For that to happen, 
the world that we've been lived in, living on since the 90s need to be cut back. So as the, the next decades, you're going to see, we're going to be cutting back. Ah, but we're still powerful. We're not more powerful than Jesus Christ. We're going to be cutting back. We're going to be cutting back. We're not going to be able to exert like we used to. Because the world is going to change at the behest of Jesus Christ for his purposes of growing his kingdom and expanding his church. As simple as that. That's the way the world works. But the problem is that I'm very optimistic about the future. Very optimistic about Latin America. Very optimistic about Africa and even China. But we... We, here in the West, not that optimistic. Because we're heading to times that are beyond the dark. The dark ages were bright. Because if we cannot define what a family is anymore, if we cannot define what a woman is anymore, if we cannot define basic moral things that humanity has known for ages, then we are in some deep trouble. We are in some deep trouble. And if, on top of that, we are using our means to impose that upon the world, that makes it different. See, if you're a corrupt nation and you're like a normal country, you're just whatever, fine. But when you're an empire, that changes the whole thing. Changes the whole thing. And so we have some dark times to, that we're going to. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, poverty and anything. I'm talking about moral times. And I, don't, I still believe, for now, that the Constitution is strong enough to prevent government persecution. But it's not strong enough to prevent economic persecution. Because when this sermon is uploaded to YouTube and somebody in my company might see it, I could lose my job tomorrow. That's now 2021. In 2029, I don't know how that's going to be. If the current ways continue. You see what I mean? And there may be pastors right now that also have a job that may say, there are certain things I don't want to talk about from the Bible because I don't want to lose my job just yet. See, they already got you. That means they have power over your life now. That's 2022. 2029. 2037. I don't know how that world's going to look. So we need a church yes. that is going to be able to be faithful into the times that we're going to. Because I think the train of let's change, let's change America. Europe is lost, but let's change America for the better. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's what is it? Uh, let's, 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 what is it, the moral majority? What is it that they used to say? You know, make America back to Christ or whatever. That train, I believe, left the platform. 
I think we're in, we need to figure out how to survive <laughs> and how at the other side we might end up. Because the Roman Empire collapsed. They're still, they're still a Rome today. <laughs> it's a city, but there's still a Rome. And there was a Rome for a long time. Went to different phases. They didn't go away. Countries don't disappear. You know, oh, there's a hole there that used to be Rome. Now it's a hole. You know, God, no, there's still Rome there. Right? Changed. This ain't going anywhere. But the times that we're going into don't look that good to me. Especially if we are spreading the, this. Now this, and before, okay, it's 1 o'clock, but I, I'm going to say one last thing. Um, this that is happening today took years to build. This is where I want to emphasize. It took years. This didn't, this, we're, we're experiencing now something that we think, oh, the world changed on us so quickly. No, it didn't. This took years. This took decades. This was diligently done because that's how you accomplish things. You don't accomplish things just coming up with them all of a sudden. You have to be diligent and work little, little by little, little by little. We, the church, didn't do that. They did that. They did that, little by little. Let me give you a quote. See if I can find it. I should find it because I, I put it now. Let me give you a quote here. This is from 1936, okay? Okay. There we go. 1936. Read, I want to read this to you. Now, this is a controversial figure that I'm going to be reading from. I don't want you to care about him. Care about what he says. All right? This is a quote from a guy called Pedro Albizu Campos, who was the leader of the Puerto Rican independence movement in the 1930s. Let me give you one of the reasons. He wrote this. One of the reasons as to why he believed what he believed. I'll read this to you. This is what he says. An assault has been made on our Christian social order in a brutal effort to dissolve our family structure and destroy the morality of a noble race imposing via governmental agencies the spread of prostitution under the deceitful banner of birth control. The ridiculous effort to destroy our Hispanic civilization with a system of public education used in the United States to enslave the masses and the arrogance to spiritually guide a nation whose soul was forged in the purest Christianity, these are our most serious complaints. Birth control, by the way, that he's referring to here, it's not the birth control pill. That came out in 1960s, this is 1936. Birth control was abortion. Abortion and sterilization was push by progressives. This is the progressive era, the United States. This was not Christians who did this. This is not regular Americans, you know, people working in what this is not, this is not, this is progressive, Christian, you know, progressive liberal folks, the 1930s spreading abortion and sterilization in Puerto Rico. 
Because you couldn't do it over here in the middle class neighborhoods over here. You couldn't do that. There was still a Christian conscience there. But you can do it in black neighborhoods, though. Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood, where did this start doing the work of spreading abortion? Black neighborhoods. Poor white neighborhoods. Guam, Puerto Rico, Hawaii. But you see, what you allow your government to do to others, eventually the government do to you. Because God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. So this is the beginning, the 1930s already, of what we are dealing with now. This built and built and built and built. Our public education system. From there is spread to our media. In the 1950s and 60s, if you had a screenplay for a Hollywood movie, you had to hand it over to a censor person that would tell you, well, this is, you can't just do this and that. Out the window that went. You can make movies about whatever you want now. This took decades. You reap what you saw. And so the world is changing. It has to change. If we are to have a Christianity upon this earth, the world has to change. Because it's not longer going to come out of the Western world, because we gave up on that. It's going to have to come out of somewhere else. So God has to change the world and the political situations in the world to make that happen. Why? Because there is a king that God has set upon his hill and he's going to give him the nations as his inheritance. And that's the program. And in verse 10, he says, you get with the program. O kings, be wise and get with the program. Or if you don't, then you perish in the way. That's, that's it. You don't have a, you know, this is not like, a, you know, like, a, what do they call that? A career day in high school. It's not how that works. What you want to do when you grow up. No, this is what you're going to do because I'm God. You get with the program or you don't. And that is possible because this world belongs to man. The man, Christ Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And he has a bride, and she has been fruitful, and she has multiplied, and she has filled the earth, and he will exert dominion. I'm going to read to you the last verse, Daniel chapter 7. Pastor Bolden preached Daniel a time ago. I know I'm late. Sorry, apologize. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. I want to read the whole thing. Verse 9 says, A wash till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him and thousand thousands ministered to him and ten thousands ten times ten thousands 
stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of a sound of, a pompous, of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. And I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I was watching in the night visions, coming, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one that shall never be destroyed. That is Jesus Christ. All these nations of the world were made and brought about at his behest and for him. Simple as that. His kingdom is everlasting. It shall never be destroyed. It shall never pass away. Never. There will always be a church. Always. Because Christ is inescapable. There was a church in the Soviet Union. There is a church in China. There is a church in the Middle East. There is a church everywhere. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that shall never end. That is where the world is going. That's the agenda. That's the program. That's the future. If you ever wonder, what is the future going to be like? There's your future. That's how it's going to be like. Isaiah 42, 12, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. I'll give you one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 42, 12. I was going to say, but I'd rather read it. I'm going to finish with this. He said this, Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the islands. Even the islands shall proclaim Him. I come from an island. That's why I like that verse. It's the only reason I read that verse. And I had to explain it because y'all didn't get it. Y'all don't pay attention. That's where the world is going. And like I said, um, us here, wherever we may be in the Western world, we have to prepare to be faithful and those who come after us to be faithful. Because we might not see the beginning of it, but I believe we're going through some hard times. And we are, are the oppression that we think we feel now will just increase and increase and increase. And we're going to be put to the test because everybody is a Christian in this country. But when you're put to the test, that's where you have to show whether or not you actually believe what you say you believe. When your job is jeopardized, when your mortgage is jeopardized, as a result of that, that all comes in. And so, but I pray to God, because God always has a people, like Pastor Bolden says. I thought I was by myself. And God says, no, I got 5,000. 
men that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And so we pray that we may be one of those 5,000 that do not bow our knees to Baal. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your church. We thank you, Lord, that um, you are the king. That the people that rule don't rule. Ultimately, you are the ruler. You're the power. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never end, Lord. And we thank you that you have raised us up and made us priests, a kingdom of priests to your God, Lord. We pray that we may have the strength, the conviction that we need going forward to stand for the truth of your word and to proclaim it boldly and prophetically to a culture that hates it and wants to do away with it. So we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.